Do you remember the first time you heard that God the Father had raised Jesus Christ, His Son, from the dead? As we continue with our study leader, Dave Wurtson, to read the Apostle Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we get to hear about how a number of not only Jewish Thessalonians responded, but also how many idolatrous pagans became gripped by this new message, a message that moved them to make the big turn in their lives. The Apostle Paul in the book of Thessalonians gives you a chance for you to go back and read the personal correspondence that the great Apostle Paul gave to Thessalonian believers. They were believers just like yourself. Paul walked into a city. When he walked into Thessaloniki, there was a big temple to the Roman emperor. So some of the people in Thessalonica, just like in our society, they lived for power. They lived for politics. They lived for what government could do. And if you know anything about the history of the Roman Empire, it was one of the most dominant cultures up to that time. But 300 years later, the message that the Apostle Paul proclaimed in Thessaloniki had gripped the then-known world. There's also, you would see, a temple to Bacchus or Dionysius. That's the Greek goddess. The Greek god is Dionysius. The Roman god is Bacchus. How many of you have friends that they're going to all watch the World Cup? They're going to get drunk? There will be dirty stories. Anybody know people like that? Sure. You used to be some of them, right? Some of you still are. You need to turn away from that stuff. You say, what's going on there? That's an ancient idolatry. You see, life is hard. You get bored with it. So what you do is you live for the weekend when you can go and and just drink a couple six-packs. And you can gather together with your friends and you have all kinds of entertainment. That's what the god Dionysius was about. You would have these drunken revelries, and, and Dionysius was the god of fertility and of, and of drunkenness and of partying. There was also a guy named Aphrodite. Anybody hear about sex as a god? A lot of our culture says, this is what will give me life. The whole quest for sexual fulfillment is an idolatry. The idea is, I believe, if I can just have that incredible experience that I'm going to live forever. Well, you're not. And that's idolatry. Well, I want you to know that those things aren't new. Mary would ask me, well, man, we don't have Dionysius today. We don't have Jupiter. We don't have the worship of the emperor. And that's a great question because you can have a big disconnect. But it's very possible as you're sitting there today, what are you living for? What do you look forward to? What keeps you going? What gives you hope? And those things, if they're not the living God, if it's not the reality that Jesus is going to come back someday, then we're starting to worship idols. Is the thing, is the person that you're worshiping this morning someone that's going to prove to be true in the end? That's what the Apostle Paul brought to this idolatrous city. He brought to them a message. It was called the good news. And last week we talked about the incredible power of the gospel causing them to believe in Jesus. And then that caused them to respond in doing all kinds of work that brought the gospel to the people in Thessaloniki. We also talked about the love that they had for one another. And then we also talked about the hope that makes them endure. As you're sitting here today, what are the ingredients that are going to keep you going in your life? What's the thing that's going to help you to walk all the way until the Lord calls you home and still have meaning? The Apostle Paul thanks the Lord. He begins this book 
by doing what we talked about together is that we need to learn to be thankful for one another and we need to learn to be thankful for some of the things that the Apostle Paul was thankful for. And as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, we pick up on one of the major things as Paul continues his thanksgiving. I would challenge you to take some time this week, and one of the things you can do is you can concretely pray like this. Only instead of thanking the Lord like Paul does for the Thessalonians, you can thank the Lord for specific brothers and sisters in Christ that you know that are manifesting the kind of thing that the Apostle Paul talks about. I promise you it'll change your life. Just take 10 minutes, take 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and say this. For we know, brothers, and the Apostle Paul is continuing his prayer of thanksgiving, and it's, this is almost all one sentence that's related to we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. In verse 4, he's giving them another thing that he's talking to the Lord about the Thessalonians about. He says, knowing, what, literally what he says is, I know, knowing, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul talks about new family relationships. Have you taken some time this week to thank the Lord for new families relationship? He says, I know, brothers, I know that you become my brothers and that you're loved by God. As you sit here today, do you think in terms of I have my own individual family and my blood family? Like in my own family, I have the Wurtzen family, and now the Wurtzen family has exploded. So now we have our individual family has eight grandkids. We all get together, and that all spreads out. That's one of my family relationships. You all have that, right? Some of you have moved away like I have. Now my brother lives here, but in most of my life, I haven't been close to my blood family. And that gives a lot of meaning in life. But the Apostle Paul is a single guy that is all involved in family. Like if you're single here, the tendency is to think in terms of, well, I don't really have family. And my family might live far away from me. But what I want you to know is the Apostle Paul is thanking the Lord, mentioning to God the incredible wonder that they've been made into a new family. Who is this family? This is God's family. Notice he says, for we know brothers. In Greek... When you say brothers, it includes all of you sisters as well. But I don't want to lose because the New Testament really talks to you men. And I think there's reasons for that. There's a big emphasis. In our culture, we're very into it's got to be men and women. And you want to be really careful not to be exclusive. And I want my sisters to know that our Heavenly Father doesn't exclude you if you're suffering from being abused by male chauvinism. Your heavenly father has nothing to do with that. But if we're going to be biblical, there's a big emphasis in the Old and New Testament on you men taking responsibility and you men being strong and not just letting the women do it spiritually. And so when I read this thing, Paul says, I write to you brothers. And the very first thing when the Thessalonians read this, there were some brothers in the church. 
just so that you ladies will really feel included, when Paul described what the Thessalonian church was, it was Jewish people, families, a few of them, not too many. There were some God-fearing Gentiles who got tired of idolatry and they started getting involved with the synagogue and they heard the Apostle Paul preach during the three Sabbaths that he was sharing Christ and how he was the Messiah. Then the Apostle Paul, the synagogue Jews, got angry with him, threw him out, and so he started witnessing to just pagans. As he was working on tents, doing his job, he had just normal pagans. Any of you have normal pagans? Don't go to synagogue. Don't go to Roman Catholic church. They don't go to a Baptist church. They don't go anywhere. They party on the weekends. Anybody have some friends like that? The Apostle Paul was connected with people like that. And it says that some prominent women in the city of Thessaloniki also responded. And I thank the Lord for prominent women. So I want you girls to know that you're all included. Like Mary Crowley, for example. Mary Crowley is the one that founded Home Interiors. She was the first woman on Billy Graham's board. She was tremendously used in her lifetime to propagate the gospel of Christ. Down through church history, I can tell you about one powerful businesswoman after another that made God's work possible. So I want you girls to really be included But I really want you brothers to hear, we need to be family. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Do you realize as a man that you're beloved by the Lord? If you've come to know Christ as your Savior, it says here, Paul addresses you, you are loved by God. Gusti just said, I was in this background. I had never heard about a God that loved me. As you're trying to reach out to Muslim people in dialogue, as you talk about the Muslim faith, Allah is just. And Allah is powerful, but he's not intimate. Allah, you don't talk about Allah loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. A Muslim cleric would hold you're being disrespectful. That is too intimate because God is transcendent. But Gusti just told you, for God so loved the world, for God so loved Gusti that he acted and gave his only son. Let's not ever get over the wondrous reality that God loved us. How do you know that God loves you? It's because he chose you. When you love somebody, like when I fell in love with Mary, I chose her. I aggressively went after her. I called her. I wrote letters to her every single day. She had to respond, but I want you to know, if I loved her, I acted on that. So young men, if you're in love with a woman and she knows Jesus, and you really say, well, I really love her, don't sit on your back end. you got to get busy because the God of heaven, when he loves you, he comes after you. This is the doctrine of election. How many of you have ever heard of the doctrine of election? And you know what you do in your Sunday school classes? You turn the doctrine of election into an argument about Calvinism. And if you do it long enough, it's very boring. You don't ever solve it because I've been debating it since I was five years of age. You also miss the point because you turn it into, it says, then God has chosen us. You turn it into, well, that means God chose me. But he didn't choose someone else. So God chose some people in eternity past to be eternally saved. 
He, that means because Western logic argues if he chose some people in eternity past to be saved, then he chose other people to be lost, and you teach double predestination. And eventually that'll make you very cold. In fact, if you push that hard enough, your choices don't mean anything, and you should be Islamic because you're teaching fatalism. If you carefully study the Bible, and I, this is what I want you to learn to do, Paul is talking about election in this context. I want you to see wh- the way that he uses election. He relates election to the fact that they're loved by God. The scriptures also teach that all the world is loved by God. In this context, Paul is not just talking about you as an individual, but he's talking about all the Thessalonian believers. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I know when I walked into the city of Thessalonica, I knew when I preached some would respond. You say, how do you know? Because he said, I know that my heavenly daddy had chosen some of those people. So my gospel, no matter how black and dark and and how serious the city was in idolatry, I knew that when I turned on the light, some people would respond. And he uses the same language that's used in Deuteronomy 4, in Deuteronomy 4, Moses speaks to the Israelites and says, you are a chosen nation. You're a chosen people. The reason God delivered you out of Egypt is because he chose your forefathers. Out of grace, he loved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the point of the book of Deuteronomy, in fact, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, it says that God didn't choose you because you deserved it. So don't sit there and go, man, I'm a child of God because God saw my great potential. Because God tells the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, I didn't chose you because you were a great nation, because you were powerful, because you were numerous. I just chose you out of pure grace. But God chose Israel for a purpose. I want you to understand something. God chose Noah to proclaim the flood's coming. That's the point of redemption. That's the point of the choice. God chose Noah to proclaim there's going to be judgment coming. God chose Abraham to be a response to the scattered nation. If you carefully study the dynamics of God's choice in the Scripture, it's not something for me as an individual to say, well, I'm one of the chosen ones, you're not. None of us know until we believe. We don't know that. But what we are chosen for, if you've been chosen by God, and I'm going to tell you in a minute how you can know for sure that you're chosen by God, that you're one of his family, that you become a brother or sister to Jesus. The reason God chose you is for you to go out and bring others into the family. The Israelites were supposed to reach the world. Naaman the Syrian became a follower of the I Am. Jesus, when he came, following John the Baptist's ministry, they were proclaiming, turn around, make the big turn, because God's kingdom has arrived. You shouldn't sit there intellectually and argue about election unless you have a passion to be a powerful witness to call other people into the family. Does that make sense? You see, your election, the reason you've been chosen, you've been chosen to be part of God's family to give birth and bring others into the family. The Apostle Paul didn't sit around saying, well, I don't know who the elect are, but I'm one of the elect, so praise God I'm going to be all right. And if God wants to reach the heathen, like some Dutch Presbyterian said, he'll use somebody else to do it. Doesn't need your help. Paul spent his whole life going from one city to the next because he was chosen. 
because he was beloved by God, and he never got over the thrill. Some of you are sitting there going, I never feel part. I don't feel a part of this church. I don't feel a part of the family. You know what you're wrestling with? You're wrestling with isolation. And to be honest with you, I watch you. You come to a party, you sit by yourself. You don't connect with anybody. You know why? Because you're insecure. You're lonely. And you're thinking about yourself the whole time at the party. You're thinking, nobody likes me here. This is the most unfriendly place. That's what happens when you feel isolated. I want to talk to you. What's going to be your deliverance when you realize you've been chosen? When you realize that you're beloved? Then you don't have to think about yourself anymore. You don't have to think about the way other people are responding to you. You start loving other people. I haven't met a person yet that loves other people, that is secure in the fact that God has selected them. I haven't met a person like that yet that doesn't have loving relationships. They have loving relationships when they're 100. They have a bunch of little kids that love them. They have a bunch of young people that love them because they're not always thinking about Nobody loves me. They're saying, man, I'm loved. I've got a family. And this is an incredible joy. God's election of the Thessalonians was so that they could join Paul in bringing the gospel to others. That was the point of it. And they were now part of this incredible family. How did you know that you were elect? And it tells us how we know they were elect. Look at the powerful reception, the powerful good news. Look what happened. God now calls you brothers and sisters. You're loved by God. You are chosen by him. How do we know that? You say, Dave, how can I know that I'm part of the chosen? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Now, I want to ask you a question. As you're sitting here this morning, and as I say, let's turn to Thessalonians, what happens inside of you? Like, what's happening right now? If you're not responding, I've sat in meetings by the hour. I was raised doing what you're doing right now, listening to my dad preach hour after hour after hour. But I want to know that even as a little kid, there was a voice inside of me that would kick in and I would start to respond. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? You see, the way that you know that you're chosen, that you're loved, and that you're part of God's family is the Holy Spirit makes you connect. Every one of your kids, from the smallest child to the oldest adult, you connect with who you are and what you are and what you're interested in. As you're working with your teenagers, that's really important because what you want to pray is that the same work of God that brought you to faith will bring your, your young people to faith. Some of you have teenagers that just aren't interested at all. By the way, some of you teenagers and college students, you have parents that aren't interested at all, right? And that's the difference. When you don't know Jesus and you're not responding, like as Paul talked to the Thessalonians and he talked to Jewish Thessalonians, some of them said, we don't buy at all. Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's a cursed, crucified criminal. We don't respond at all. If they lived their whole life like that, it became evident they weren't some of the beloved ones. They weren't chosen. The great mystery in that. As Paul talked to some of the Gentile God-fearers, some of them completely turned them off. They didn't respond. As he talked to pagans, some of them didn't respond at all. Your unbelieving friend would say, well, I don't think it's fair that God chooses some and doesn't choose others and said, I want you to know that my heavenly daddy loves you so much that he'll give you exactly what you want. Do you like hearing about God? 
Do you like singing praise to him? Do you like gathering together with other people that believe like that? When you hear about the cross of Christ, does something stir inside of you? If your friend says, no, I just totally turned off by that. Then you can say to your friend, my heavenly daddy loves you so much, he'll let you have the absence of that forever and ever and ever. Did you hear what I just said? God gives every single human being on planet Earth. He loves them so much that their choices really mean something. And my choices reveal who Dave Wurtzen really is. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You say, Dave, how do you know that you're born again? Because when I heard the gospel, I remember when I learned that Christ died on the cross for my sins. I was a little five-year-old kid. And remember my dad saying, Jesus took the rap for you. He would talk about being in prison as an evangelist. And he talked about all the criminals that were sentenced. And then he said, all of us were sentenced. All of us deserve to be punished. And then my dad broke out into a great big smile and he says, but this is incredible good news. God, the ultimate judge of the universe, took his one and only precious son. And my dad expressed it. He took the rap. He took the rap for us. And that struck my heart as a little kid. I remember it to this day. I can remember times all through my life when I heard Jesus died, when I mentioned the phrase, Jesus died for our sins, what happens inside of you? And the wondrous miracle, Jesus rose again from the dead. Your choice, the fact that God has chosen you is evidenced by how you respond to the gospel. And I want you to see that it wasn't just a word, but it came with the power of the Spirit with deep conviction. It's real important. One of the great dangers I want you to be in prayer about is being part of the Bible church orbit, being related to Dallas Seminary. We put a big emphasis upon the Word. John, for example, like John says that Jesus is the Word. Aristotle will tell you all the components of how you move an audience. And Cicero, for example, was a great Roman rhetorician, incredible speaker. In our circles, and as American believers, we put a big stress upon what we do with our mouth. Like when we listen to Tony Evans, Tony Evans is a powerful orator. When you listen to Billy Graham, Baptist preachers since I've been a little kid try to talk like Billy Graham. They try to hold their Bible like Billy Graham. They try to, to, to do their voice like Billy Graham because Billy was an incredible orator. And I want you to know that God uses that. Apollos was a great orator. But maybe you're just caught up into oratory. You're just caught up with delivery. The Apostle Paul was preaching to you this morning. The Apostle Paul wasn't a very good orator. He was a great writer. And he was a great Christ-like liver. The way that he lived, he wasn't a good speaker. His presence, like he didn't look like Billy in his youth, he had an eye problem. He probably squinted. He was probably short and balded. The only description that's kind of close to his day is he has a big hooked nose. He's a little short guy. He's bald-headed, and he has a strong, vital body, but his eyes are squinting, which is the parable thing the speaker used. Paul, when he came to Thessaloniki, didn't win the audience because of his great oratory. You see, Dave, how did he win? When he preached that Christ died for sins, he rose again. 
there was power. And one of the things I want to pray, one of the things I'm really scared about about our church is that the power is gone. That the full conviction of the Spirit is gone. That we turn it just into a study center. And what I want you to know is that's not what changes lives. The Apostle Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't just come with oratory. He's using the word logos here. None of the personal power of Jesus and none of the message of salvation. He he doesn't ever demean that because there is the power of the word of the gospel. But it was accompanied with the power of the Spirit and full conviction. Now, some of you have been raised, and you have all the word. You're very intellectual. Our church has a strong dominating element with that. You have a strong commitment to the word. That's good. If you go to some of my Assembly of God friends, like some of the other churches here in town, you're going to get a ton of a dose of power and experience. You'll see people speaking languages that you haven't studied. You'll see them dancing around and everything else. Some of you that are Presbyterian in your background, that's the most horrible thing you can imagine. Some of you that are raised in a background like ours, you hunger for that kind of personal expression. And then in our own church family, we wrestle back and forth because you're from so many different backgrounds, right? You say, Dave, what was the dominating thing that showed that the believers in Thessalonica had really responded? In fact, Paul doesn't mention this context that they spoke in tongues. It doesn't mention that great miracles were done by the Apostle Paul, although they were probably were. Because when the gospel invades new ground, he often explodes in signs and wonders and great miracles as the gospel's in contact with a pagan culture. But I want you to know what Paul mentions. Look what he says. He says, the gospel came with great conviction, with great power, and I notice you welcomed the message with You welcome the message with joy. You know what our lives should be marked by as believers? Joy. Joy. You say, Dave, what's the joy? The joy was the fact that as Paul went on, he says, when I came to you, you were persecuted for what you believed. But like Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail, just before he got there, Paul and Silas were whipped they were in stocks. You know what they were doing in the middle of the night? In the middle of the night, they were singing. That's believers marked by the Holy Spirit. When you really have the Holy Spirit moving, you sing. And you have joy. And this joy expresses itself in all different ways through all different kinds of personalities. But the, the mark of the Spirit of God in the Thessalonians was they believed Paul's message. Christ died for sins, he rose again. It produced incredible conviction by the Holy Spirit. They caused them to turn from idols, and they turned to the living God. And they never got over the joy of now worshiping a living God. And the Apostle Paul says that, therefore, their message rang out. They became a contagious example. The Apostle Paul is able to say to the Thessalonians, when I got down to Athens and then I went on to Corinth, And as I pen this letter, you know what the Apostle Paul said? The Apostle Paul said, when I walked into the city of Corinth, which was a city that hadn't been that evangelized yet, people were already talking about you. You say, what? Yeah. People from Thessalonica 
had already come down to Corinth. You know what they were saying? Do you remember those Thessalonians? Remember those Thessalonians that used to get drunk all the time and they were immoral? Remember those legalistic Jews that were so isolationist? Do you realize that I was just up in Thessalonica and there's some nutty people in Thessalonica. They meet together. They have joy together. They eat together from home to home. They're like this gigantic family. Even if you're not a blood family, you're now God's family. And they're saying this incredible thing that instead of worshiping Jupiter, instead of worshiping the Roman emperor now and Dionysius, now they're saying that they're waiting for Jesus to come back. And they think he might come back at any time. They're living for that. And right now, some of their friends are ostracizing them. Some of their friends rejected them. That's going to happen to some of you who really believe in Jesus. But what held them in there is they realized Jesus is coming back. What I want to pray, because I've spoken to you this morning, I want you to have joy today. Like you live in a world, you think the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. One of our kids, raised in our church family, And another girl raised over in Forney, both loved Jesus. They came to know him. And they declared that they wanted to bring glory to God. They they wanted everyone to know they loved each other. But more importantly, they wanted their marriage to picture Christ's relationship with the church. Amen? That produced great joy in your heart. That's incredible, incredible joy. But I know what it's like to go into a funeral home with all the coffins laid out. And for my precious, he was my father-in-law, but he was like a daddy to me. For him to put his hand in the coffin and just bust out crying, it's daddies shouldn't have to bury their kids. There's a part of me, because I deal with that so much, I want to get away from it. But even talking to you now, it brings it all back. One of the worst things that you deal with is a young teenager, barely out of their teenage years or in their teenage years, that dies. I hate that. Doesn't that just destroy you? But we can have joy. Because you know what Paul told us today? And the reason we need to leave this room and let the message ring out. You know what? Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, what our great Savior is going to do is he's going to say, I wept with you and I hated the curse of death. But the curse of death The former things is over forever. Here's your daughter. Enjoy her forever. Doesn't that give you joy? Doesn't that give you hope? That's what we need to be ringing out. I want you to go out this week, and one thing I'd like you to do, I'd like you to ask your unbelieving friends, when you hear about Midlothian Bible Church, what do you think about? What are we known for? Then ask a deeper question. Say, when you hear a born-again believer, what do you think about? What's our reputation? And here's the big prayer. I wanted to start to pray. When I asked in Corinth, Thessalonian, new believer in Jesus, what do you think of? You know what they thought of? Joy. Hope. They're being rejected by their friends but they haven't turned away from this incredible good news. Something's happened in their life. And that's going to spread like wildfire, a contagious infection 
joy because we have a hope that Jesus is going to come back and set things right. And he's going to be our Savior, and we're going to live in a world where there's no more suffering, no more death forever and ever. That's what Jesus is about. That's what the gospel's about. And I want to pray that the same Holy Spirit, and I believe he can do it, the same Holy Spirit that touched the Thessalonians' life and brings full conviction, brings incredible enduring hope, produces works that come from faith and labor that generated by love, he can do all those things right now 